0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine podcast. Today is Monday, November 8th, 2021. I'm John Podhorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Okay, so um, here's the question Do we have to eat crow, or can we explain why we don't have to eat crow? We, on Friday, and much of last week, were taking happy victory laps about the disasters befalling uh, woke policy and woke politicians, and uh, the results of the Tuesday election. And then late, uh, and and talking about how uh, Democrats were in disarray. And then late Friday night, the House Democrats, along with uh, thirteen. Republicans passed the uh, build the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, that had been languishing in the House for three months after it passed the Senate again with nineteen Republican votes back in August um, and uh, and so there is a sense abroad that somehow uh we said this bill wouldn't pass and we were wrong and now we are going to reap the whirlwind and America is going to be destroyed. Noah, uh, how do you take the um, extreme pessimism and uh, anguish uh, that seems to have uh, erupted in quarters on the right about the passage of the BIF as uh, as it came to be known for you know reasons why you would want to name a bill after either Willie Loman's idiot uh, loser son or after the villain in Back to the Future, I don't know, but nonetheless, Biff passed. So uh, let's uh, let's let's try to analyze what happened here.
1: Yeah, um, I, I find it absolutely inexplicable the level of apoplexy on the right. I can only think that after Tuesday's results, everybody got a little greedy and imagined that everything would stop dead in its tracks. At no point, John, you suggested that we said that this bill would not pass. I never said that. No, I never said that. for months and months and months, (laughs) we have been saying there's no reason why it shouldn't have passed months ago. That the hostage taking and the negotiations over it between the progressives and the moderates, blah, 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 blah. All of that was... You know, in effort to stall the Social Infrastructure Bill, it had nothing to do with the Hard Infrastructure Bill. There was no reason to You're allowed to be a little dis- disappointed at the number of Republican defections. There were a lot, um, more than leadership should have been able to should have allowed. It was well, a lot of defections.
0: six six percent of the Republican caucus voted for the bill. I mean, I wouldn't say that right. that's a huge huge number. Almost thirty well, percent of Republican senators voted for the bill. Yeah, you did. Yeah. But I'm saying that yeah, they, That's They're the point. following along. Thirty percent of Republicans in the in the Senate, right? So it was un-
1: unreasonable vote. to expect that this wouldn't have gotten a significant amount of Republican support. The idea that you could hold it to two is a fantasy that I think everybody indulged, including me. But it was a fantasy. The notion here that it would get no support in the lower chamber after such a resounding bipartisan uh, filibuster-proof majority in the in the Senate passed this thing. It was there was no reason why it shouldn't have passed it did pass it doesn't the, the idea here is that it's going to make bbb the big social infrastructure bill easier and it would have months and months ago it would have it would have it would have greased the skids and cleared the runway but it it doesn't now that dynamic does not pertain anymore it hasn't for a very long time so no i don't understand the right's reaction to this other than that they they just Got drunk on the idea that they had a lot more political power than they actually do.
0: There's
2: also, I think, uh, the the reality, or not the reality, or the perceived reality. This is on both sides that there can only be miracles and tragedies, right? There's 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 not much room in between for things that uh, just aren't great or are pretty good. Um, everything is on the line every every second of the way. And I have to say, uh, you know, watching all the coverage over the weekend sure there was you know much talking mainstream media and and television there's there's you know there was acknowledgement of of the of infrastructure passing but still the 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 narrative the, the dominating narrative about our politics now remains uh how the democrats have to sort of jettison the woke agenda and start actually doing things that the American people care about. That is that is still what
1: people are talking about. And, briefly, and I, ha- I do want to say, I'm sorry, go briefly, ahead. Just, no, let, just to let, be a like Chris, charitable Christine go, ahead. Christine,
0: go ahead. No, no, let, go let, ahead, go ahead.
1: Just our right-wing critics are right that this is a this is a ton of money. They've been spending ridiculous amounts of money over the course of the last year, six trillion dollars in, in emergency funding, and it's going to inflate the currency and it's gonna it's gonna have deleterious economic effects. They're right, and we should keep saying the spending is too much. In that sense, they're correct.
3: And and actually to add on to that, uh, the dear colleague letter that Nancy Pelosi sent around on uh, last night, I think it went out. Um is is basically acts as if all of this hostage taking that has been going on for months never occurred. It's like, well, now we've done this, of course, and now we're going to we, we have to promote equity and climate change and get the BBB on track. They don't even have a CBO score for this. And what that means is that we still don't know if they can pay for it. And that, to Noah's point, is really what is on at the forefront of the average American voters mind right now with this spending.
0: Okay, so here's <clears throat> my general take: is that it's a bad bill. It's a bad bill. There's only like two hundred billion out of a trillion dollars that is, in fact, hard, hard, hard infrastructure. There's all this money for electric charging stations and and green projects and a, a new depart, new area inside the transportation department or inside some, you know, for green initiatives and all this. There's there's a lot of garbage in the bill. And it, but though it is the the hard stuff, the two hundred billion dollars in hard stuff that got it passed. I mean, you have to understand that the of the thirteen Republicans who voted for it, almost all of them are from the Northeast corridor that is disproportionately will disproportionately benefit from the bill. Sixty six billion dollars in new Amtrak spending, which is you know uh, money that will you know conceivably help Noah get into New York City faster uh from you know from from New Jersey stuff like that there might it might help build this tunnel that New York needs a freight tunnel uh the gateway tunnel from Jersey to New York that uh that has been necessary for 80 or n- close to 90 years now um whether or not all of that is, so you have very specific things about this legislation uh, it fits a, a certain area so that a Republican congressman from Staten Island, Nicole Miliotakis, voted for it, though she wants to be very Trumpy. And she said she did it to own the liberals, which was an interesting idea. But the fact is that it it is a classic bill that makes it hard for people in certain areas to vote against it. And so they got they got these 13 Republican votes in the House the way they got 19 Republican votes in the Senate. That is... That is within the realm of the understandable American political framework when it comes to spending bills. Uh, Everyone is a purist until there's money for their district, and then they, particularly on the right, and then they sometimes split off and want to be able to say that they did something positive for their district or their area or their state uh, in terms of money, and that's why these bills are so seductive. So it's a bad bill, but most of these kinds of bills are bad and have been historically. And I tell the story in the blog post that we have I have up on the site um, of Ronald Reagan desperately trying to veto the 1987 highway bill, which was colossal at the time. Ready for this? $87 billion. Oh, my God. That No one ever spent that much money before 87. We would right now... No bill that passes Congress could be for less than $5 trillion. But then Reagan vetoes the bill. The Republicans lost the Senate in 1986, having had control of it since the 1980 election. And his veto was overridden. Overriding a veto is a very big deal. That's not 60 votes. That's 67 votes, 69 votes to override Reagan's veto. Um, and, And the reason? Because it was just too tempting for guess the number 13 republicans in the senate just like 13 republicans in the house this time it was too tempting for them not to go for it they just there was just money for their states and they wanted the money for their states and reagan already looked like he was wounded because of iran contra and so they voted for it and the bill uh, passed over reagan's veto so that that is that that was almost 35 years ago This is what happens with these spending bills and with Republicans at times. But it is within the realm of the understandable in American politics. It's happened before. It will happen again. Trump, you may remember, wanted to pass – Trump claimed he wanted massive infrastructure spending. Steve Bannon gave this famous interview during the transition between the Obama and Trump administration saying – We are going to break the back of the Democratic Party by taking on their spending priorities. We're going to get paid family leave and we're going to get massive infrastructure. And Trump, for reasons that elude me then, because it actually seemed like a pretty canny idea, uh, particularly since they wanted to do something to spend money for the white working class that voted for Trump, um, Trump decided not to go for it and to instead stress cultural issues relating to his base, like the Muslim ban and stuff like that. Um, So we never had a test of this idea that he would really put the feet of Democrats to the fire by taking some of their policies and seeing whether or not, um, You know, what would Chuck Schumer do in New York in 2017 if there was a lot of money in the infrastructure, in an infrastructure bill proposed by Trump for the Northeast Corridor? What would he do? Would he vote against it because he hated Trump, or would he have to vote for it because it was so good so good for his state? Um, this is how normal politics works, right? That kind of idea. Peel off people from the other party to help you pass your agenda. People are confusing that with the reason to oppose the bigger bill, the the Build Back Better bill, which is not ordinary politics. It is an effort to create a new social spending structure for the United States on a scale we haven't seen for 60 years. That's bad. And its passage would be a genuine break with the past and a genuine break with a century of efforts to claw back some of the worst excesses of the great society um, by both parties, by the way. Who was it who ended welfare as we know it? It wasn't a Republican. It was Bill Clinton in 1996. So this would be a huge reversal of that, create new entitlements among them, you know, sort of uh, cradle to grave uh, welfare in the form of the earned income tax credit and um, uh, or some version of the child tax credit. And, uh, you know, universal pre-K and stuff like that, that that would that would fundamentally alter in some ways the social contract. Maybe you think it's a good thing if you're listening and you're a liberal and you like to listen to me because you like to hear sanity on the other side and all that. Maybe you think that's a good thing. This is a good way that the social contract should be amended. But it would be an emendation of the social contract at a time when Biden got elected with four, you know, with a with a four percentage point margin Losing 15 seats in the House, not having a majority in the Senate, and in the wake of an election that showed that that the public, including a lot of Biden voters, think that the Democratic Party went too far to the left. So, you know, like, people need to be able to disaggregate this. The disaggregation, which Noah said, is in ordinary circumstances without the woke rump of the Democratic Party deciding to play idiot power politics – this bill would have passed in August. They had some wily coyote scheme uh, to to make sure that the larger bill passed, as opposed to the smaller bill. And the scheme failed, and it ended up failing pretty much in the wake of these election losses, because it became clear even to them that if they were seen as the destructive force against sort of rational, even if again in our view bad policy. Uh, then they would have to face their own party's wrath and the wrath of a, of, of, of a sort of ordinary opinion that would say, why are you working to destroy the Democratic Party's one chance to get something significant under its belt in the wake of this terrible election? So the question then is, why, why do we face... so? But you could say this is cynical, like pol- bad policy is bad policy. And so if you're a conservative and you hate big government spending, and this is a huge big government spending bill, you should oppose it and think it's terrible. And like I say, if I were in the Congress, I would vote against it, and I think it's bad policy. But it's not revolutionary in any way, shape, or form. There is nothing revolutionary about this bill. The tactical
1: incentives changed over the course of those three months. And the tactical incentives for Republicans on Friday night when this thing passed were to deny Democrats anything and everything. And only because the environment had perceptively changed before it was intangible. Now it was very tangible and very real, the prospect that Republicans could, could really take it all back in just two years' time. And that's what they were looking forward to. And that makes a lot of sense. But then the idea that you decide, okay, well, we didn't get that, so we have to primary Chris Smith in New Jersey who's been a, a Republican, a, a, a well-liked Republican across the aisle in a, in a state that doesn't vote a lot of Republicans into office. That, the idea that you could have the kind of a flailing reaction that suggests although well, we have to truncate our own power now, our own minority status to avenge this uh, assault on a tactical advantage that we could have had theoretically that never actually materialized and was actually never really there is um, rather strange to understand. Outside of an emotional context,
3: right? Well, I mean, let, let's oh, go well, ahead. The, Christa, sorry, I, I was just going to add that that on the Democratic side, they seem to have learned only part of the lesson of of Tuesday's election, which was I I we did hear a lot of oh we gotta we gotta cool it with the woke stuff like we like we heard uh, uh, we've heard before, but they missed the whole general unease with the direction of the country and and real concern about the economic health of the nation those two things do have a lot of bearing on this bbb bill and 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 that the sort of glib uh, enthusiasm with which nancy pelosi thinks she's now going to pursue this bill uh, before it's scored before anybody really knows how much it costs strikes me as as um, strange, uh, in the same way that I agree with Noah, the idea that the re- the Republican response should be to primary people who voted for this out of out of political expediency is is also odd. But I I don't think they caught the full mood of what the what Tuesday's elections uh, showed. Look, us. I
0: think that we now understand the method to Pelosi's madness because she has seemed mad over the last month, and it turns out she wasn't mad. Uh, that I'm sure the story is that she had backdoor knowledge. That there were thirteen Republicans willing to vote for the bill, and that that was the thing that she had in her pocket, and what she didn't want to do was force a vote. She didn't really know what the progressives who number whose caucus numbers like I think it has ninety members, but I think that that's just people sort of signing on to look to look good. Like I think they are sort of solidly forty members, and she really didn't have a solid whip count on that, but she did know she had thirteen. Republicans and so she kept kind of bringing the bill up in the hopes that she could then get uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal, the head of the the Progressive Caucus, to say, "Okay, I'll go for this now because we can lose X number of Democratic voters votes in the House and still because there are 13 Republicans who vote for it, the bill will still pass." But Jayapal was not willing to do that until after the election on 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 tuesday and uh and so uh pelosi's inexplicable conduct now seems a little more explicable to me um but that conduct does not then translate into you know weird confidence about the passage of the build back better bill which maybe she can pass and maybe she can't we really don't know Right. There are two aspects of it, one of which is this whole question of the moderates who can kill it, the moderates in the House who number nine solid numbers. And if if the if the Congressional Budget Office score comes back at two or two and a half trillion dollars, they're going to have a ready made thing in their pocket to say we're just not going to vote for this. And you can already count the ones who might do that. Like there's Abigail Spanberger in Virginia who is now you know on the critical list as a result of the 2021 election uh maybe josh gottheimer in new jersey who got who got his infrastructure spending but you know is is also in a district that clearly might conceivably go republican in 20 i mean he'll have a he'll have a tough race in 2022 um well, I'm right that that was a re- that was that Frelinghuysen's district Gottheimer's maybe not I mean there there was there were there have been Republicans in Jersey seats that you know in these areas that flipped for the Republicans l- last week just not in a while um anyway so uh you know she has no confidence that that a bad CBO score will be able she'll be able to overcome that and then of course then you hit the senate and you know i why why anything will have changed for mansion and cinema in a direction that says they will vote for for this bill after after tuesday i do not know
1: yeah everything you outlined suggests it's only going to get worse and we're talking about 2022 right this year's basically over we're taking this into december at least where we have another debt ceiling negotiation that we have to extend or at least and and Mitch McConnell said that deal was uh, re- it necessitated a debt ceiling hike using reconciliation. You won't get another Republican bailout. That was the terms of their of their you know uh, the the resolving of that mini crisis in the beginning of October. So now we're in if that happens, I mean, that's the end of the reconciliation process. But if it doesn't, maybe they extend it again, it still goes into twenty twenty two in which case we're in the middle of a midterm environment. I've been
0: talking with you for a long time about David Bonson and the Bonson Group, that multi-billion dollar wealth advisory firm that puts out DividendCafe.com and the DCToday.com. Boy, was it helpful last week during uh, all the, uh, everything that went on last week, the the good jobs report, uh, interesting, complicated contradictions about inflation and contraindications about inflation, um, and the election results. And David Bonson has now put out a book called There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths that you should order and read and really get a chance to get a, a much more thorough sense of the interplay of markets, faith, policy, and free enterprise, written as a sort of daily economic devotional, It provides pithy commentary with 250 economic principles spelled out, uh, using quotations from famous economists and thinkers to illustrate them, and drawing the reader into a deeper understanding of free enterprise and its foundational beliefs and practical applications. This is written for those who instinctively favor favor a free market system but want to better understand why. A faith-based worldview, defense of free enterprise, with 250 single-page entries that will help you reflect, discern, and understand there's no free lunch, 250 economic truths from our friend David Bonson of the Bonson Group, available at Amazon, Barnes Noble, and all good booksellers. Um, Okay, so uh, we, Abe, you mentioned that, you know, go ahead. I just want, well, I just want to thinking about this. I think there's
2: actually perhaps even one genuinely positive thing to say about uh, what happened with infrastructure. S- s- small, albeit, but but it's there nonetheless, which is that um, the result further isolates the squad uh, in Congress, right? Um, you know, in the, in the past weeks, the concern was that they're getting their way um, and they're sort of, you know, wielding this outsized control uh, over, over the party. Um, they are now sort of uh seen as this you know sort of little p- pocket of uh irritants and uh i think that's right
0: because specifically the squad uh represented the six uh democratic votes against the bill right were rashida tlaib right uh ayanna presley presley uh, aoc a couple of other people right so yeah so this was an the squad voted against um
1: all the other progressives hilariously worked. though, Ayanna Presley only voted. Uh, Presley only voted no after it got ah, too interesting. Right, in. okay. So, but in any case, she's
0: a she's yeah, a squishy. She's, yeah, squad. but anyway. So the squad voted against it, and the, every other progressive voted for it. So yeah, the idea that the squad is either the vanguard or the leading edge or the true power behind the throne of the progressives has been has been put to it put to a test. And my guess is that Pramila Jayapal doesn't really like how AOC steals her thunder and wants, you know, wants to be known as the power broker on the left and not, you know, and AOC is more like, you know, Matt, the Matt Gates of the left, you know, performative without, you know, getting anything done. Um, so going, so let's talk about a lot of the things that have, you know, as people have d- gone deeper into the results of, the 2021 elections, what, you know, the, the nature of the calamity that befell the Democratic Party deepens over time. Uh, any serious analyst can see this, that this almost uniform swing in radically different states. So you can't really say that it was local. This is actually something that Republicans have to deal with as well, or conservatives. If you have a very similar result In Virginia and New Jersey, the idea that education was the formative, was the cause of the triumphant Youngkin victory in Virginia, you got to back off a little bit because the swing was uniform in New Jersey and Virginia. And Chittorelli, the Republican who, you know, lost by three points when he should have lost by 16, didn't run on education. So, uh, and in Long Island, where there was this massive shift in Nassau and Suffolk counties, to, particularly in Nassau, Nassau County, to the right, education was not an issue on the ballot, except to the extent that education is generally in the air as as a as an example of the way the Democratic Party seems to have jumped off a leftist ledge. But in in Long Island, it's very clear that the two issues that one uh, the county executive and the DA, various other things, were crime and taxes. We're talking about old-timey reasons that people who vote liberal start voting conservative: crime and taxes. Welcome to the 1970s. Welcome to neoconservatism. Um, and so we have this uniform shift. We have a you know cons- we have a Republican police chief in in Seattle. All this. And so you have this national trend. The national trend is the Democratic Party has gone crazy and you're all crazy and we can't vote for you. This isn't what we voted for. And now you're talking, now you're being and acting crazy. And you're so that being the case, the question that the question that will haunt Democrats now is do they really now I'm not saying do they really want the big, the Build Back Better bill? Do they want to have a piece of legislation? Do they want to commit themselves to a piece of legislation? Absent the salvation of the nay votes of Mansion and Cinema preventing it from going into law, do they want that on their records? If the issue that we now see is biting is the Democrats have moved too far left particularly on taxes, and there's a whole bunch of new taxes despite what Biden says in the Build Back Better bill?
1: It's a tougher question than you you might think because voting no won't save you. All evidence we have suggests that voting no doesn't really win you enough goodwill to save you from a bad environment. And voting yes doesn't save you either, but it does provide you with an escape hatch in the form of private sector activity, or even intra-party politics, that you can go into and 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 live comfortably an once yeah. you've left politics. Yeah. Having done so, your you're campaign,
0: Abigail Spamburger, or... Or something along those lines. Sure, yeah. just
1: within the committees or on K Street, yeah. yeah, something like that.
3: But there's, but there's, I mean, to, speaking to that issue of just the general mood, um, you know, USA Today and Suffolk University did a poll over the weekend. Two thirds of Americans, sixty-four percent, said they don't want Biden to run for a second term and and that poll claims that that includes 28% of democrats it's a similar you know slightly you know 24% of republicans don't want trump to run either but it's that 64% number that's really high and that's not just like an approval number that's we really we've seen enough of you in just the amount of time you've been in office that we don't need to see anymore and kamala's uh uh approval ratings, as we know are even more dismal. so there's just a general sense of these people are not able to do this job and I think that's where a, a vote on spending tons of money particularly on things like climate change which don't which are not everyday kitchen table priorities right now for Americans, that's just going to look again out of touch like people who don't understand what this country really needs and wants right now.
0: Look the single biggest driver of inflation in terms of pocketbook issues is gas prices. And uh, uh, climate change stuff all has an inflationary effect on gas prices. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. So you have $100,000 to buy an electric car, and there'll be a charging station for you. Mazel tough to you. You know, but um, you know, a, a person who paid $40 to fill up her tank, you know, three months ago, who has to pay $65 three months later, is a person who needs relief. Because that is that is literally a you know, that is literally like 60 more dollars a week out of her pocket. You know, off the top without any. Sorry
3: to interrupt, but Jennifer Granholm went on one of the news shows the other day and was like and was asked, you know, do you think gas will get to four dollars a gallon? She's like, oh, I hope not. First of all, it is four dollars a gallon in some places. That's what I pay in D.C. It's expensive already in a lot of cities. But the idea that she hopes this won't happen, I mean, you know, there there are actual things one could do in her position to, to discourage the rise in gas prices. So this idea that they can just keep spinning the same rhetoric and telling people that their reality, they are, that they are experienced as, as Americans who have to now fill up their tanks at four dollars a gallon isn't really happening or is just temporary i mean we're done we're, we're cynical about what they're also, saying th-
0: that is that there is something ideologically illogical about what she said because of course people who want radical climate change legislation want gas prices to be high i mean the gas prices are expensive in part because of <clears throat> you know federal state and local taxes uh, or state taxes in particular and uh it is a it is an it is it is axiomatic that if you want less use of, you know, of 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 carbon things, you want them to be more expensive so that they bite people so that they'll use them less. So she is representing an administration that says, I don't want we don't want gas prices to be four dollars a gallon, because that's bad for us politically, but ideologically they want gas prices to be eight dollars a gallon with the way they are in Europe. You know where people drive a lot less and don't drive forty. You know, don't drive eighty miles a day to their job. You know, back and forth, or whatever. So you know, this is no joke. And and um, and that logic or that problem with logic is something that Republicans are primed to exploit. You know, they want your gas prices higher. The Build Back Better bill is a way of making sure that your gas prices go high and remain high because all the spending that we are going to do is devoted to and dedicated to forms of energy use and production that we don't have yet and that will, you know, and we will provide and we, are, we still oppose the development of new fracking sites and pipelines to deliver the natural gas and all that. So, you know... Um, Again, I just ask myself, if you are one of these 25 remaining newly elected Democrats, you know, uh, who didn't lose their seats in in 2020, uh, having won uh, seats away from Republicans in the House in 2018, no, you may be right that they're, you know, they won't be helped by a no vote. But... uh, they're just handing their rivals, you know, like a like the like the the axe to cut them into pieces with a yes vote. So, you yeah. know, I,
2: I think uh, I, I think Joe Biden is still is going to want to do big things. Uh, his his ambition, I don't think, has 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 been um, sort of much dented by by what's gone on by the by the elections. White House advisor uh, Cedric Richmond went on to the shows on Sunday on on Fox Fox News uh Sunday and elsewhere and was asked well uh so does the do you still think that the the American people want Joe Biden elected Joe Biden to do big things or you know responsible things and he said oh no no big things big things you know, we're still we're still doing big things, and if and if if this if you want to compare them to to FDR, go go right ahead. Or you know, if that invites comparisons to to LBJ, whatever it is, sure. You know, they're still on board, so there's going to be pressure uh, from the White House to 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 keep making him um, some sort of iconic
1: uh, uh, modern liberal figure. Oh, I believe that absolutely. But that's how you get. Um, that's how you get fifty six Republicans in the Senate in twenty twenty three. Because the more this environment looks like Something that people are going to appreciate If you stop it, just stop it Just don't do anything Literally all you have to do is obstruct and criticize Don't have to offer a positive vision Don't have to offer an alternative Don't even have to be a governing vehicle Just an anti-governing vehicle And that's how you get big names Jumping into Senate races With big bipartisan support In places like Maryland And New Hampshire And Nevada And all those places Nevada, Nevada, Nevada I never remember no bad. Either way, we just have to keep state.
3: pouncing and seizing yeah. on things. So, in other words, right? Republicans just need to keep pouncing yes. and seizing. No, but okay. I mean, look, the,
0: the White House wants what the White House wants, and when when parties' interests diverge between the White House and Capitol Hill, that is a harbinger of disaster. I mean, it really is. Like if, if the par- if parties can hold together, uh Jimmy Carter lost the confidence of the Senate. Um, George H. W. Bush lost the confidence of the House. Um, you know, uh, the, these are these are one-term presidents. Obama, because of his natural circumstances and charisma, and the fact that he really did represent the ideological predilections of his own party, did not lose the confidence of the House and Senate, even as the even as uh, the political realities turned against him, um, and won two terms. Um, but you know this is a real thing. I mean if if Democrats I don't really see it because I because the fact is that the Democrats in the House and the Senate are actually more left wing than Biden is naturally but but if they really do start to feel like the political interests of the White House are deleterious or damaging to their prospects, somebody said something interesting by the way about some of the progressives or you know uh, people, like AOC and others, Tlaib, uh, Omar, uh, Presley, others uh, who had been elected in 2018, which is that they don't know because they got elected in 2018 what it's like to be in the minority in the House. You know what it's like to be in the minority in the House? It stinks. It's terrible. You are have no power whatsoever unless you do what the 13 Republicans did this week and vote for the infrastructure bill. Your only power is collective, which is the power to say no and to make sure that you are a sort of blocking tackle, and you're not going to be there to enshrine the majority's hopes and dreams. But uh, AOC is not going to like being in the minority. I mean, maybe she will because if she's Matt Gates, it doesn't matter her whether she's in the majority or the minority because she has no governing. She has not. There's nothing she wants to do except go on Instagram and be famous. But, um. You know, one of the things that is going on here is, and we'll see this now over the next three or four months, which is, are there going to be, you know, um, are there going to be resignations? Are there going, are people going to drop like flies and not run for re-election in the House and indeed in the Senate, conceivably? Will that happen? Will some of these people quit? I, I mentioned this on Friday, like, you quit now. Uh, And you have a year, according to some of these legislatures, where you you have to have a gap of a year before you can go do, you know, massive lobbying. Do you quit, take a year off so that you can go, you know, into a K Street firm next December with a million dollar bonus and start your life anew? Um, We'll see. But uh but these are Hobson's choices. Like there are very there are there are no good choices. And the one good choice is if you really believe in build back better. So you vote for it, your Marjorie Margoli's Mesvinsky in nineteen ninety three, and you vote for the Clinton agenda, uh, even though you know it's gonna lose your election in Pennsylvania, because you know, that's actually what you wanna do. You actually that's what you want. You want the Clinton agenda and so you know your your district says otherwise, but that's what you want. And so you you're, you're sort of sacrificing yourself, but you're sacrificing yourself on the altar principle. So that's the one the one positive. Of course, the altar principle does not then move on to the Senate, where you know Mansion Cinema are standing there. And I again don't see why the logic of Mansion Cinema opposing Bill That Better has changed at all with the results of Tuesday's election. I mean that's really the question. Can one see them under some new form of intolerable pressure that makes it necessary for them to cave and give in to a bill that they, neither of them clearly wants to vote for? Noah, can you see I mean I, I can see it because I can see how the house passes it and then all the pressure is on and all the pressure is on are you going to destroy de- the Democratic Party, you're going to destroy the this presidency, you're going to s- destroy everything? You know, they get doxxed and people publish the address of their house and their demonstrations outside their house and who knows what else.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a failure of imagination to say to not be able to envision it. Sure. I mean, anything's possible. Uh, And yeah, maybe there's a parade of. Of you know kayaks by a uh, uh, mansion's houseboat that really proved very convincing. But what, Bill? We don't know what this is, and they've just been making it worse, larding it up with all the stuff they negotiated out of it for weeks. And meanwhile, the Republican non-response rates of polls, being what they are, who knows? But we have two polls now, two reputable pollsters that found the generic congressional ballot, which measures your rough uh, how what party you want to control Congress, at eight points, two. Eight points points. in the Republican favor,
0: 46, 38 in the
1: Republican favor. In 2010, it was only 6.8. And that was the biggest wave there had ever been. So, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to it's the incentives are are pretty easy to imagine for for legislators on the fence who know that their political prospects are imperiled by voting for this thing. There is there in the House. There's very few incentives to vote. No, if you're a Democrat
3: in the Senate, there are plenty. The, the other thing that they're not doing in terms of messaging the the whatever this behemoth BBB, you know, will become um, is anything about getting away from COVID, getting away, getting out of the COVID stuff, which was the main thing that got Biden elected, I believe, like just saying, we're going to we're going to fix this, we're going to solve all these problems, we're going to move on, we're going to get back to normal. There's not a lot of back to normal talk coming from the people who want this massive social spending. There's much more, as John said, more kind of quasi revolutionary. We must transform society because they don't want to go back to pre-COVID times. That that's the whole point of you know of Abe's wonderful article from a few months ago about. I mean, they actually do want a kind of revolutionary approach, but the American people are not on board with that. But not talking about getting back to normal is actually, I think, going to harm them at the at in 2022 because that's what people want and we're seeing a lot more pushback on things like mask mandates on on all kinds of all, all kinds of issues that actually were what biden successfully ran on a few years a year ago uh
2: and they're gonna have uh, uh, more of a challenge on that front coming right now because new cases daily cases nationally are flat uh
0: they've 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 kind of stopped dropping
2: we uh, have
1: not even discussed yeah, the Fifth oh, we, we, uh,
3: we Yeah, we, oh, no, we need not to not get anything. to
0: that, but we, we should talk a little about this. Yeah, so according to the New York Times, the change in positive cases over the last two weeks is now zero, that we have, we have now st- stalled at 72,000 new cases a day. Now, deaths are down 17%, but like last week there was this moment of, Oh, you know, it's things are actually, hmm, you know, there's a 53% drop since uh, September, and all of this, and yeah, something has stalled. Something has stalled out, even as the vaccines have been now authorized for five to elevens, and we now going to have this treatment, this pill, presumably available in January that if you get COVID, you just take this pill and it has a 90% effectiveness rate in preventing hospitalization. Um, So we have vaccines for everyone in America over the age of five and a pill. And that is the end. That should policy in policy terms be the end of COVID, right? That should be the end of masking. That should be the end of mandates. It should be the end of everything because either you get vaccinated or you get treated and that's it. And you, you know, and, and
1: and such is life, but we are nowhere near that as, as we. This is the dynamic yeah. that Christine just said is the real obstacle before democratic policymakers who know they have to get back to normal is that their constituents don't want to Democrats like the post COVID normal. Let's be honest about that. At least progressive Democrats really do appreciate the neurosis that has become our daily lives, but outside of those progressive governed bubbles, COVID is okay. over. Okay. There but are no masks okay. mandates. And the only reminder you have, the only reminder you have that this is still a thing is schools. So the education issue then becomes a COVID issue, then becomes a critical race issue, then becomes progressive governance generally. It's your only reminder if outside of these uh, uh, urban areas that you are being Okay, but here,
0: let's now deal with the colossal ironies attendant here. There's, as usual, a very good Monday piece by David Leonhardt in the New York Times about COVID numbers. So what does it say? It says that in red states, uh, COVID deaths are three times higher now than in blue states. Trump voting states, the death rate from COVID is three times higher than it is in states that voted for Biden. So why is this interesting? Because it is the states that voted for Biden where, according to Leonhardt, Only 10% of adults have not been vaccinated. Only 10% of Democrats have not been vaccinated, according to these, you know, sort of longitudinal studies that are insisting on continuing to live under COVID restrictions. And it is states where the death toll is actually quite high that there is countervailing political pressure against COVID restrictions and against mandates in red states. So you really have a paradox here, which is in the places where you could argue mandates and masking and all this are necessary, the politics make them impossible. And in the places where it is time for people to stop saying that five-year-olds need to wear masks and should stop saying that you need to wear a mask in a store if they say that, although most of that is voluntary, even here in New York, that's voluntary as long as you're vaccinated. And that you do, you know, as a as a matter of, um, you know, that's like, a, what do you call that? The, the honor system, right? Uh, they say, but we strongly encourage you to wear a mask if you're. It's mandatory and, okay, so it's in manage- DC. Okay, it's, it's mandatory law in still in DC. Right. You have to wear okay, a mask so, indoors. Yeah. So yeah. none of this makes any sense. Like essentially, what Leonhard is saying is that the COVID, the the pandemic, is over, in blue states. It is still going on in red states. Blue states still have insane mandates and red states don't. So, you know, riddle riddle me this. I, I you know, this is a, because what it means is that for people in red states, uh, personal choice and, pers- and and personal liberties outweigh their fear of the disease. And in some sense, they're saying by now, I'll risk it. If I'm not vaccinated, and if I am, I'm taking the science that says that I'm fine. I'm fine. I've been double vaccinated. I have, a, I have a 94% chance of not getting COVID. And if I get COVID, it'll be very mild. And I'm going on with my daily life. So anybody got a cultural explanation for this
1: madness? You just said it. I mean, it, it's, it's inexplicable to the left and people like us too, that every death, almost every death from COVID now is a preventable tragedy. But this is the political covenant that these states have established for themselves. There is a level of death they are willing to tolerate in defense of personal liberty and, in uh, in it, And objecting to the kind of overweening influence of the public health bureaucracy post-COVID. It's hard to get your hands around that if your only thing is that maybe we should be saving lives. But that is what they've established for
3: themselves. But there's all and there's also to add to that, there's there's been now almost two years of a power grab by local officials that's very difficult for them in these blue states, uh, and and I include in that the District of Columbia to shake off. There was a w- interesting little local news report here in in DC over the last week, where pe- once again gyms in DC are like, please can we lift the mass mandate? We'll require vaccination. We'll do all this stuff. This is crazy. We're going out of business. Please help us because the mass mandate still stands. And they asked for metrics for masks being, uh, the mask mandate being lifted from Dr. LaQuandra Nesbitt, who's the public health person in D.C., and her response to these business owners was, you're bullying me. (laughs) You're bullying me by asking me to do my job and give a public health metric, and I'll just decide when it feels like it's right. It was the most unbelievable Uh, expression of what I think a lot of these officials feel, which is I have this power and I am not going to give it up because I know what's best. And it's going, I mean, in my city, it's not going to matter because it's, you know, it's really, really deep blue. It's That's not going to change. But I do think that there's a kind of, that power that they've wielded now for so long they are not okay guys so
0: let me just back off for a second and talk to you about bambi our second advertiser today because when running a business hr issues can kill you with those wrongful termination suits and minimum wage requirements labor regulations and hr manager salaries aren't cheap an average of seventy thousand dollars a year bambi spelled b-a-m-b-e-e was created specifically for small business you can get a dedicated hr manager craft hr policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel any time. you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance, let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now. To schedule your free HR audit, that's Bambi.com slash commentary spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary. <clears throat> Abe, uh, where w- w- when you when you look at this whole question of the COVID madness, uh, I just want to know, you know, we've been talking about how, let, let me put it this way. I would say that the red state thing is is the logic of the damn fool. That is, it's like, if you're a damn fool and you're not going to ride a motorcycle with your helmet on and you get killed, you know, because you fall off the motorcycle, you're a damn fool. But it's it's all on you. Once the vaccines were prevalent, and now particularly once, now that there is going to be a treatment if you get tested positive for COVID... We are now in an exact parallel to this damn fool thing. You can get vaccinated and you're 90%, 94% protected. And if you get it, you can take a pill. So if you don't get vaccinated and you don't take the pill and you die from COVID, it's on you. It's not a public health obligation. It's not a public health responsibility. We have the means and the wherewithal to intercept intercede with and prevent the spread of the virus to people who are in danger from it and so this now all becomes an individual choice people were still acting as though it were before we had these treat before we had the vaccine and the treatment and that was where people were a little crazy in my view. Like this notion, it's like, don't tell me, and I could, you know, look, here's a, you know, here's a treatment that no one's talking about that will prevent it, and blah, 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 and 700,000 people died anyway. And that was a little crazy. But since February, when the vaccines were became publicly available, and now particularly with the pill, we are now in a position in which anybody who dies from COVID, you know, the vast majority of cases, they deserve it. I mean, they maybe in January, February we should say that, like once the pill is, is is widely available. But basically, it's like fine. So you're an idiot. You know, you smoked five packs of cigarettes a day and got lung cancer and died. That's on you. You know, I didn't do that, and I'm not paying for it. And you died, and I, you know, screw you. Essentially, look, I.
2: I mean, I think it's um, it's tragic that. Uh people who f- feel this way are I think they're conflating um understandable justified uh resentment at the covid regime and at things like mandates and you know never-ending lockdowns and and uh, hyper vigilant social policy and, and all that they're conflating that with going out and taking care of yourself but they don't need me to lecture them. I, I I'm not interested in lecturing them. I don't lecture people who smoke cigarettes. I, I mean, I'm with you. I don't I don't care. I'd rather they didn't die. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go so far as to say they deserve death, but but they have made a
0: choice. And that's <laughs> uh, they deserve. You know, death. they've they've made a, a choice. They, and get, they get they get what's coming to but, them based what, on their own choices. It's that there's no larger right. there's okay, no but, larger public health issue. Because they are not spreaders of disease, the their 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 transmission of the disease is now interferable with in a way that say protects everybody else.
3: But this this is where I think this is what frustrates me about the the messaging I hear from public health folks, particularly in blue states, about how you know the real problem is all these you know the politicization of this all these issues by the right, like it's all their fault. But what's frustrating right now is that I, I think there's plenty of evidence that that, that certainly was occurring and, and is continuing to occur. And the David Leonhardt newsletter this morning suggests that with evidence. But there's another political thing here that's driving me nuts. And I think it's what drives a lot of otherwise reasonable people to become defiant in, in their willingness to take a vaccine or to or to wear a mask. Uh, even, you know, at the very beginning. And that's that the public health messaging is not honest. If what you want is a regime that allows for zero COVID, zero deaths, you should say that. You should say this means we're going to have to mask forever. In fact, masking is great because then the flu cases will be down. People won't get colds as often. This is all for the good. And this is where we stand. This is where we're planting our flag. Then you can fight that argument with other evidence and have a debate about that. But that's not what they say even though that's what their policies suggest we should do. And I think it's that, that tension is what a reasonable person looks at and goes, am I crazy? Because this doesn't seem realistic because very small number of children are at risk of death. But if you say that, they're like, you want children to die. So they're it, it, they're talking past each other, but it's a deliberate effort in turn on the terms that the public health folks have set. That's almost impossible to backpedal from, and I think that's why they won't roll back the restrictions in some of these places. I
0: mean, I, so I took my 11 year old to get vaccinated yesterday to get his first shot. And uh, having said this, I know I will now get emails from people saying that I'm trying to kill my son because how dare I? And kids aren't at risk and all of that. Okay, so. I, I agree that the statistics tell me that, you know, fewer than 600 kids have gotten COVID, uh, have died from COVID in the United States, and that fundamentally then they are, <clears throat> they are clearly protected from the worst ravages of the disease, though they can, they can get it and still recover from it and all of that. So why on earth would I get my kid vaccinated? Well, my kid has almost no chance of getting mumps either, by the way. I mean, mumps, you know, I got mumps 60 years ago or whenever it was. And uh, my kid is, you know, vaccinated against mumps. Mumps hardly exists anymore. Um, Most of the diseases, measles, mumps, rubella. I know we had a measles outbreak in in California. and So most most of these diseases are, they're close to being eradicated. And we still do it it, basically out of fear. First of all, because it's now just a done thing. And second, if you really were to think it through out of fear of a freakish result that you could have prevented without, with at very little risk. So the, the weirdness that is going on now is uh, with this whole question of vaccine mandates and and all that. we should talk about this too in a second, even though we're going long. Um, It's like, I'm doing it as a belt and suspenders thing, a tooth at one of which is maybe something freakish happens and he gets it. So, I'm going to vaccinate him because based on what I hear, the vaccine is safe. That's number one. They've approved it, so I assume it's safe. They're not going to let, you know, 20 million kids get a vaccine that's not safe. I'm sorry, even if they're PC and all of that. Um, and second is, yeah, I mean, there is a kind of national consensus that we're not getting out of this thing until people are, you know, until almost everybody who can be vaccinated is vaccinated. And I don't like that that is the that is what is going on. But I live in the real world and I live in reality. And that is part of how we're going to get out of this. And, yeah, so I'll 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 get him vaccinated. Um, but then let's go to the vaccine mandate question, because, of course, the Fifth Circuit uh, court of appeals stayed Biden's announcement of the OSHA promulgation of OSHA regulations that will force, you know, 80 million people to be under a vaccine mandate beginning January 4th. Where do we think this is going to go? Anybody have a clue?
1: Well, we previewed this a little bit, um, when uh, Steirwalt was on on Thursday, right? Uh, because the Fifth Circuit had previously actually overturned a ETS, an emergency temporary standard issued by OSHA, in part because they couldn't demonstrate the emergency part. Um, and when you delay this, as they have, now that wasn't the Fifth Circuit's ruling in this case, uh, or, or logic rather, but when you delay something as the as the Biden administration did well into January, just for the sake of compliance, it's not much of an emergency anymore. It's just self evidently not a pressing priority. You're putting it off by four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, uh, which is has led to the to previous jurisprudence around these things. So even if this wasn't the logics, another court would take this on. And I speculated that they were trying to just jettison this thing by by putting the. Uh, by putting the delay on there just because it would undermine, so undermine the rationale that it wouldn't have a legal leg to stand on. I That's a little too Machiavellian. I mean, I'm the Biden people are still. doing
0: that, not not that um, the court They were is poking doing holes. The, the Biden people put this out with the, the Biden hopes would, that yeah, it would be stayed. But,
1: they are, but they've been poking holes in their own logic, because not maybe not because of political incentives, but because the conditions don't warrant it. But they do have to comport with reality a little bit. And the reality is that this is not a national emergency anymore. It may be a local emergency in some places. Like if you live in Idaho and and your threat of your hospital being overrun is very real, then it's an emergency in Idaho. But it's not an emergency in New York City. So the Biden administration has had to comport with the reality of the COVID outbreak at this point. And the reality doesn't suggest that these OSHA mandates are necessary. And if it wasn't the Fifth Circuit, it'd be something else. And it might be the Supreme Court eventually. administration says they'll argue it. But I'm not sure. I don't know if they're if they're going to move forward with this. The 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 iron will cool precipitously right. by. January. Well, look, there
0: are two ways of looking at this. One of which is the Fifth Circuit did not say it was because it's not an emergency. They said because of the likelihood of significant constitute because this appears to raise significant constitutional questions. We're going to stay its execution uh, until we get papers from the administration supporting their position today. Like it wasn't it's not like they said, okay, it stayed forever and then we're going to wait till the higher court makes a decision. They said we need supporting literature to support the constitutionality of this given to us by the Biden administration today, Monday, November 8th, uh, before we, we can let it proceed. So it's not clear that they won't then look at the paper and say, okay, we can let it proceed because they have an arguable case and we'll take it up you know, in sort of normal proceedings over the course of the next two months. Um, I think that's an interesting call there because, first of all, they're staying something that isn't happening anyway, right? There is no vaccine mandate until January 4th, so announcing that they're staying it, which, which means that they're somehow staying the action of writing the rules that will govern the mandate at OSHA, is kind of a weird kabuki game since there is no mandate yet, um, but uh, it, it's just it, it, yeah. It's it, it's interesting because then Ron Klain went on on you know on TV, the White House chief of staff, and said, "Of course it's legal. Like you know, OSHA can compel people to wear hard hats, so uh, they can if they can do that, they can make people get get vaccinated." And you're like, "Do you really, really, really want to take that?" argument to its logical conclusion so basically OSHA can decide that if something is good for you uh, even if you decide maybe it's not so good for you they can just make you do it like they could also insist that the
3: ca- yeah, and you could yeah. take a hard hat off also when you're done at insist your job <laughs> that the
0: cafeteria at lunch only have vegetables because it'd be bad for your cholesterol if there is ice cream and you know and grilled cheese sandwiches like I'm sorry, there is no limiting principle in the notion that, well, since OSHA does one thing to people who are literally living in a, you know, who are working in an atmosphere of direct and present danger to their physical safety, and therefore it should they should behave in X, Y, and Z way because their heads could get chopped off or they could have a brick fall on their head or whatever, that that's the same as saying that they have to get a shot. Like that is not. You know they are they're playing with fire there. Like they are they 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 really do start to look like lunatics out of an Ayn Rand novel. Abe, sorry. Did you have? Did...
2: No, I just. But I, you know, I don't. Well, I, I just don't think the administration is going to back down because I think they're out of tricks up their sleeve here. There's not, you know, this is something we've been saying for a while. There's not much more f- the, that can be done uh, on on a national federal level this is this is kind of it this is this is you know got the vaccine it's it's available to everyone who wants it and and this is where we are and there's not you cannot compel behavior beyond this point point. and but yet the 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 you know the claim biden's claim is that trump did everything wrong he's he will do everything right meanwhile we're you know how this far into his presidency but at, at, on, he'll, he will do everything right on on the pandemic, but there's nowhere to turn anymore. There's 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 what more is there to do? But you know, come up with these, you know, cockamamie unconstitutional <laughs> mandates. You know, there's there's no there's no sort of like imaginative approach here, I think, that that can get them right. what what they want.
3: And that the, I think that's also why they can't go back and revisit the things because they said you could take your masks off when you're vaccinated. And we had a few months of no masks. Then they said, put your mask back on because the Delta variant. They cannot go back again. They're like they won't say, well, now circumstances are better. You can we have these therapeutics and we have vaccination rates that are high. Let's take the masks off. They won't go back. And that's why you see them themselves performing this ridiculous, you know, theater with the with the masks. Where I mean, Biden will like wear the mask to the podium, cough all over his hands, and shake someone's hand and get right in their face. I mean, it's now it's absurdist at this point. It's absurdist theater. It's not even you know enjoyable to watch because you know what's coming. Um, and and I've stopped actually. You know, I send you guys every time some public official is partying down without a mask on. In a place like Puerto Rico, which Randy Weingarten, the teachers union official, did this weekend. There's just too many examples of it. It's because everybody knows it's it's right. fake now, but nobody right. will stop it, and, it's, and that's what frustrates every... Right. Well, you know, it's enough to give you like a
0: backache, which is why you want the X chair, because if you sit in the X chair when you work, or if you're working at home, or you're working at your office, you can get yourself a massage. You can warm up. You can cool down with the uh, LMX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair because my my office chair can give you a massage. My office chair can make you cool down, it can make you warmer, and the customized support of its patented dynamic dynamic variable lumbar or DVL means my back is really not happy in any other chair. So high performance quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons to love your X chair. Take my advice, try your X chair risk-free for 30 days. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's a letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call one 844 4 x for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchaircommentary.com. So uh, we got to go, but I hate to end You know, on an ad read. So does anybody have anything interesting to say?
3: Oh come on! Improvise. Uh, but my kids did not like the eternal. Your Eternals kids are correct, as as you predicted, John. <laughs> Your
0: kids are wise. <laughs> they did not. Enjoy Your kids it.
3: are wise. It's, I'm
0: sixty. <laughs> I didn't like it. They're fifteen. They didn't like it. This is this is a consensus. It's got apparently got the worst like score among you know what's called cinema score, where they they ha- ask people uh, to give a letter grade after they come out of the theater. It got a B, nothing or B minus or something. Nothing in the Marvel universe has gotten a, a grade that low. Um, it is. Uh,
3: it's Marvel's Ishtar is basically oh, the, that's the good. consensus. Right. That, is, that, is, that is
0: good. And I do want to congratulate uh, Randy Weingarten on saying that the reason that she took her mask off at the big party in Puerto Rico uh, was that, you know, people couldn't understand what she was saying. First of all, it would be better for people could not hear what she was saying anymore since every time she opens her mouth, she gets a Republican elected. But um, also, like, yeah, that's what happens in classes. You idiot. And it's what happens when children walk around with masks. You wouldn't know that because you don't have children and you're not in a classroom and you don't socialize with children because you're a corrupt goon. Corrupt goon without children controlling the lives of children. It's it's a beautiful thing.
3: I love when we end on well, such a I positive just, I just note. You know, I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to
0: end on an ad read. So I got myself worked up into a lather over the Eternals and Randy Weingarten who are equally bad one culturally, the other politically and ideologically. Anyway, with that, we will reconvene tomorrow for A. Christina No, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the kettle burning.